Tim for praying for us and uh, thank you Lynn for reading the uh, Bible passage for us. Uh, for those who are guests today, uh, we are uh, in a series through uh, this letter of uh, 1 John uh, and uh, we want to be listening to what God has to say to us today through, uh, through these wonderful, wonderful words. Uh, I want to begin by just uh, saying something uh, just uh, to make the connection between us now uh, and uh, the context uh, that this letter was written into uh, so that we can uh, get a sense of uh, what's going on and begin to begin to see already how it, uh, you know, God will be speaking to us uh, today. Uh, there are many sad stories. Um, they're tragically common, uh, tragically common in every denomination, every denomination. And it seems to me all the various groups that each denomination have, okay? It's not true just one, it's true we can see it right across the board, and it is, it's sad but true. Effective and gifted and fruitful Christian leaders succumb to temptation and then they fail badly. Uh, generally, they fall in one of four areas, sometimes in two of them, sometimes in three of them, sometimes in... All four of them, money, morality, power, and doctrine. And the impact uh, on the churches that they lead and the impact on ordinary Christians is absolutely devastating. People experience a mix of confusion and disbelief and fury and wretchedness and very deep betrayal. Uh, and uh, there are people in the room who know this exact feeling. It's not a theory. It's something that you have experienced yourself. And we wonder how sin could capture the heart of someone God has used so powerfully. Uh, and uh, some folks look through all the dirty details uh, and some are secretly glad to see another gifted leader go down. They got what was coming to them. Uh, others withdraw uh, rather disgusted and angry, not willing to trust church leaders ever again. A significant number are utterly disorientated that they question their faith and they doubt whether they are Christians at all themselves. Uh, this is the fallout uh, and it is big and it is wide. So what do we do when these kinds of things happen? What do we do? How do we stay on track when we get so bewildered? When we are spiritually confused and disorientated? I think the principles that come through in this passage for us today, yeah, they are specifically related to when Christian leaders fail and fall, but the principles actually apply to any of those moments when we experience something in life which utterly disorientates us. We feel like we're in one of those tumble drives and we're being spun round. We don't know which way up we are. We don't know which way to look and we don't know who to trust. And I, the principles here are, are true and deeply valuable in any of those kinds of circumstances when we've just been hit hard and we don't know where to look, who to trust, and we even begin to doubt perhaps our own faith. 
back to 1 John, one of the main contexts uh, or main points of 1 John is to reassure our faith in the truth, to reassure us in what we believe when life is very disorientating. And today's passage is specifically about those times when so-called Christian leaders fail. The standout description for them here is Antichrist. The Bible says that before Jesus returns, uh, the opposition to God will climax in a person called the Antichrist. But in the meantime, many, many lesser Antichrists come along. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Uh, Jesus said himself that in the last uh, era, Antichrist and then ultimately the Antichrist would come. Uh, we know that we are in the last phases before Jesus eventually returns. The really difficult and confusing thing for the first readers of this letter is the one where we've begun. It, it, it is that the fact that these lesser antichrists who opposed them had once been loved and upstanding members of their church family. People they knew. People they loved. Probably leaders from the local church. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. One of the things about true Christian faith is that we keep sticking with Jesus with others who are keeping sticking with Jesus. Uh, and where this is all heading and the passage for next week is all about abide, sticking with Jesus, sticking with each other and with others who are sticking with the Lord God. And one of the signs of those that are fallen and never really following Christ is they don't stick with him and they don't stick with his family. They leave. But it's terrible, terrible for our hearts uh, when these sort of things happen. As I say, the principles apply specifically to these moments when leaders fail, or the, the antichrist, the lesser antichrists. Uh, but it's uh, the principles that we're going to be thinking about actually apply across the board whenever we feel utterly disorientated and begin to question our own faith. So what does John do? What does he say? How does he speak in? How does he speak to the hearts of people who are utterly disorientated? Uh, well, two main things. The first thing is he wants to confirm the believer, to confirm the disorientated Christian. There are three big confirmations that he wants to give to disorientated believers. And please, if you've switched off at all, switch back on in your mind and your heart. God wants to say some things to you today for you, for your heart, to encourage you very, very deeply indeed, especially for those moments when you are feeling confused. And the first big confirmation is there in verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, puts it this way. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 puts it this way. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts. You've been anointed with the Holy One, the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, verse 20, let me read the full verse. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Seems these other leaders are saying, hang on, you don't know stuff. You know, you don't know the real truth. You're missing out on the true knowledge. And John says, no, sorry, <laughs> you've been given the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Jesus said, we'll lead you into all truth. You've got God in your heart. The word Christ means anointed one. There's a, a, a wonderful play on words going on here. We've got to get the sense of it. The word Christ means anointed one. And Jesus is God's anointed savior king. And uh, so the first confirmation for the uh, disorientated believer is very simply stunning. Just as the lesser antichrists are mini versions, uh, uh, mini manifestations or representatives of the antichrist to come, you are a representative and a version of the Christ who has come, who's with you in his heart by uh, his Holy Spirit, the anointing, same word, Christ, being anointed with Christ's Holy Spirit. You are anointed by the Christ with his Holy Spirit to represent the Christ in the world. It is an amazing privilege. It is an astonishing comfort. And you might think, well, how's that, that going to really work out? I don't quite feel it. But we need to pray for each other. And as I speak now, be praying for your own heart. I think we're meant to experience this and know it to be true in our experience. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's not just something you think out there. Oh, I've been sealed. You're meant to know it. Know it and experience it. Given his Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our inner beings, in our souls, deep within us. We have God dwelling there. And Romans 8 goes on and says, we've got God's Holy Spirit in us that leads us to say, Abba, Father. We express that we are, well, verse 18 says it, children. We're his children. We know it. We feel it. I feel that God is my father. What a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And what a very, very deep reassurance. Uh, and um, just be in, pray now for the person sat right next to you that they would know the anointing of the Holy One, the Christ's Holy Spirit, anointed into their hearts, sealing them, reassuring them. You know, the person sat next to you might be so utterly disorientated. Uh, and the one who can reorientate them and comfort them is in their hearts already, the Holy Spirit. Pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the person next to you. So that's uh, the first uh, the first thing. You've been anointed by the Holy One. The second confirmation for the disorientated believer is linked to it. Verse 20 says that because you are anointed ones, you all have knowledge. Uh, verse 21 puts, you know the truth. You do. Not because you're very clever. Not because you discovered it on your own. No, 
but because God has revealed it to you and made it very clear, which is chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 is all about, telling us that we've known and seen and heard and touched. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us in the Lord Jesus. John is saying something like this to you today. God, through his word, is saying something to you in this kind of a way, if I can put it in these words. You have been utterly disorientated and confused by the failing of some respected Christian friend or leader or some other experience in your life. You're utterly disorientated. These things have made you question what is true. You don't know who to trust. You're tempted to doubt your faith. You're asking, have I been wrong about Jesus all along? Well, stop doubting. You do know and have the truth. It is your new birthright in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 24, let what you've heard from the beginning abide, remain in you. Abide by his Holy Spirit, the truth that you've already known. So we put uh, the first two confirmations together for the disorientated believer, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, knowing the truth, bring those two together. They take us back to the Gospel of John and to the time Jesus promised that he and the Father would send the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You'll have the anointing of the Spirit and you will know. So be reassured in your heart be confident in your Lord Jesus. He's anointed you with his spirit. You know him. You have the truth. You are actually his representative in the world. Be confident in him. Those two confirmations, well, what are we supposed to do with these? Well, it's it's the third confirmation, which I spoke a little bit about uh, at the beginning, uh, which is, um, well, it's in verse 24, and uh, verse 27, let me read 24 and 27. Let that which you have heard from the beginning abide in you. In what you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 27. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that another should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You see the repeated word, don't you? All underlined in mine, abide, abide, abide. Abide in him. The summary at the end there, there's three words. Abide. So that's the, the, the third confirmation to the disorientated believer. Abide in what you've heard. Abide in the Son. As you abide in what you've heard, you abide in the Son who's spoken it to you. As you abide in the Word and abide in the Son who's spoken the truth to you, you're abiding in the Father. And as you abide in the Son and as you abide in the Word and you abide in the Father, you abide in the anointing of the Holy One. You abide in the Trinity. Amazing, isn't it? Right here. You know, as you walk around, you are... Uh, a walking prayer quadruplet is you and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with you. 
That is absolutely amazing and absolutely wonderful. What matters is that we abide, that is remain in Christ, that we don't give up and go astray, which is one of John's tests of the true Christian and the true Christian leader. Uh, they that keep going, unlike those that give up and leave, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been us of, of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. That is, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But they've left the faith. They're not walking with the Lord. They're not walking with, with church. Uh, and uh, they've gone on their way. But we've remained. We remain with each other. We remain with each other with Christ. The anointing of his spirit and the truth of his word. John warns us against false teachers in verse 27 when he says, you don't need anyone to teach you. He's not saying that you don't need to be hearing this sermon now. You don't need people, you know, it's not saying you don't need people to help you understand the Bible. I mean, that would just pour a whole load of contradictions on, on much of the New Testament, much of the Old Testament. He means you don't need anyone offering you anything new, which it seems the Antichrist were trying to do. Some sort of special knowledge or spe special spiritual insight. All you need is the Bible, the gospel of the Lord Jesus that you've already got, the truth that you already know, verse 21, which is the gospel that you heard and you believed, verse 24. And these things were sealed upon your heart by the anointing of the Holy One, the Holy Spirit. Abide in these things. Abide, remain in them. Keep sticking with Jesus. There's nothing new to know, but there'll always be new situations to relearn and live these things in new ways. Keep on abiding and learning in those difficult situations about the Lord and what you already know. Apply it in new ways to your own heart. I have found in my life many new situations that have been utterly disorientating. At times in my own Christian life, I found myself like being in a tiny boat in, unchart in uncharted waters and being hit by great waves. Uh, and um, I, I don't know what I do. I, I have moments of utter disorientation. I, I, I hope this doesn't unsettle you too much. Uh, but um, I, I have said to Tanya, my wife, Tanya, I don't know if I'm a Christian anymore. And I was your minister when I said that. It's in these new situations when we're out of our depth that we learn things that we already know, but we learn them more deeply. Nothing new to know, but we learn them in these new situations, a fresh realisation of the depth of our own sin, an appalling sort of reality check and reminder of our idolatry, a humbling experience of the frailty of our own strength. And being confronted again with our utter foolishness, the utter foolishness of our own wisdom. And then we decide, I must abide. Tanya would say to me, what, else, what are you going to do, Tim? There's nowhere else to do. Just stick with Jesus. Put all your eggs in one basket. That's her main phrase. Stick with him. Lump it all with him. What else are you going to do? What else can you do? Keep abiding with the Lord. Remain in his teaching. Remain in, in the scriptures. Keep depending upon his heavenly teacher in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know who said this, and I've forgotten where I, I picked it up from, but I think it's if you're writing any notes, uh, this is worth writing down. It's not sticking with what you know, but abiding with who you do know. And if someone can tell me where that came from, because I think it's probably someone well-known. I can't remember who it was. If you know, they can come let me know so I can give them the credit. It's not sticking with what you know, but abiding with who you know. So these are the, the three great confirmations for... Uh, for the disorientated believer, which at times will be us all. But secondly, uh, confronting the counterfeit. And it's important that the disorientated believer actually hears and senses uh, and has reasons and um, tools to spot and to confront the counterfeit, uh, the Antichrist as were. This is the flip side of confirming the disciple uh, in their faith. John gives a simple test that enables us to spot and to confront antichrists or the lesser antichrists. And it's a very simple question. What do they believe about Jesus? That's it. What do you say about Jesus? Firstly, counterfeits deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior King. Deny that he's the Christ, the King. That is uh, verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. They're quite literally anti, that is, against Christ. And John is very plain in saying it's a lie because he is the Christ. Uh, and according to John chapter 7, verse 44, every lie comes from the father of lies, Satan or the devil. The second counterfeit um, response to, you know, well, you know, what do you think of Jesus? Is they deny that he is the Son of God. So they deny that he is Christ the King. They deny that he is the saving Son of God, which is verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way of salvation. And if you deny him, you deny the Father. Whoever confesses the Son, however, has the Father also. It's a very dangerous thing to deny Jesus. Uh, that he's the son of God and the savior of the world. You deny him, that's it. That you, you cut off access to the father. There's, there is only on one way, and that's Jesus. The consequences of denying that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, ripples out to those wider consequences. It means that we deny that the God is love. 1 John 4, verse 8 to 9. Now, this is love, not that we first loved him, but he loved us and sent his son to die for us. And once we denied God's love, we're beginning to die and deny God's grace and his mercy and his goodness. Just all those things that are aspects of his wonderful fatherhood. John Stott said this. Uh, John Stott was a preacher, a great preacher in the last century, um, in, the, in the 20th century. Only the son reveals the father to us and only the son reconciles us to the father. So if you're denying him, you may as well pack your bags and do something different. You've denied it all. You're not, you're not Christian anymore. We need to be so clear about these things. Uh, counterfeits do exist. We mustn't be naive because they're not that easy to spot. Uh, verse 26 uses the word deception. Um, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So they, they, are, they are out to get you. They're trying and they're using deceptive means. So that means so they will try and hide what they're doing. 
But what do you think of Jesus? That's that's the one to go for. <laughs> that will unearth who they are. Do they deny that he is the Christ, God's king? Do they deny that he's the son of God, the savior of the world? Because um, that will reveal the truth, the reality of, of, of who they are. But I, I think it's just worth just saying just a couple more things on this. Denying Christ, the king, denying Jesus is the son of God. The Antichrist, they're, they're, dece they're deceivers. People who are counterfeits are, are deceptive. So I, I think if you were to say, do you deny Jesus is the savior? They'll go, no, I don't. The outright denial isn't where it all begins. And I think we just need to pray that we are not naive. We've got our minds and our hearts in gear for ourselves. You know, we, we can, all of us can slip. And it doesn't begin with that outright denial. It, it, it begins with somewhere a whole load more difficult to see and a lot more deceptive. It, it, I think it just begins in those moments where we just topple Jesus off being king. Just, yeah, if you ask me, yeah, he's king. But if you look at my thinking and you look at my life, then there's actually things creeping in that are a little bit more important than him being my king. There's, um, I, there, I don't know. There's, there's, there's injustice that I'm beginning to see in the world, and I'm, and I, and I'm taken up with that. And it's a good thing and a right thing, but mm, my passion for that is actually just beginning to take over Jesus being my king. You know, secondary things. The, the way that we do church. The way that we might be involved in an area of ministry and passionate that it should be done this way rather than that way. And it just becomes too important. And suddenly that's more important than Jesus being my king. And and and, and we forget that the person I'm disagreeing with uh, over this secondary issue, actual fact, Jesus is their king. And we ought to just say, look, we're disagreeing on this. Jesus is our king. Let's 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 keep that amongst ourselves. So it begins in such a subtle place. And denying Jesus as our saviour. Again, we don't we don't deny Jesus. It's the Lord's my saviour. It's in his name, Jesus. But we kind of think, well, there must be a, a, a silver bullet, the perfect way of doing evangelism to this people group. And that's the way you've got to do it. The perfect mission strategy. You've got to pray in this way. You've got to, you've got to sing to the Lord, but sing in this particular style. A style that really, you know... Do you see, suddenly other things are creeping into being much more important than Jesus in reality when it comes to our salvation. Just got to pray that God's spirit, the anointing, the truth of his word would just keep us close to the true Jesus. Keep him on the throne. Keep him the savior of our hearts. The idea of the Antichrist, let me draw to a conclusion, is extremely interesting and intriguing. Down the centuries, Christians have spent a lot of time speculating and writing a great amount about who it might be. But the Bible and this part of the Bible's greatest concern 
is that Christians keep going in the face of opposition, in the face of especially those things, moments when Christians whom we've loved and respected and trusted fail us, go astray. When we hear other moments and experiences in life, when we feel utterly disorientated and we wonder what's going on, what matters most? What do we do then? We remain. We consciously decide to remain in Christ ourselves. We don't know what happened to them. We can't figure out what it was that caused this situation that's so utterly disorientating. We can't pick it apart. We don't know. We're not God. But we can remain in him. And we must remain in him. Put all your eggs in one basket, in Jesus' basket. Stick with him. Stick with his word. Whatever the spiritual disorientation is. I'm going to end with a quote of uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle. He was the first bishop of Liverpool. Uh, and um, a, a wonderful Bible teacher written a number. Of, if, if you want to get four really good books on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that you can read for your day-by-day -day quiet times, will take you ages to get, you know, feast for, for a year or two years. Uh, J.C. Ryle on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in little bite-sized bits for each day. Seriously, you can go. I mean, there you are. They, they want to abide in Christ? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, J.C. Ryle. He just keeps pointing you to Jesus. Uh, here's him uh, in, from John's Gospel uh, and his, his comments on John's Gospel on what it means to abide. Coming up on the screen there, let me read. To abide in Christ means to keep a habit of constant, close communion with him. To be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have his words abiding in us is to keep his sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Verse 27, last three words of our reading, abide in him. Let's spend a moment of quiet and let's pray that the Lord Jesus by his spirit keeps us abiding in his word and in him and in his father in heaven. God, Father, we want to bring to you today all the things that are disorientating us at the moment. The things that painfully confuse us. The things that we try and sort out and figure out. And we know we can't. But that doesn't stop us trying to. And often we end up even more confused than where we were before. We so need you. And you know, you know that we need you. 
and you've given us your word and spoken to us today through your word to comfort our hearts and to give us what we need which is to just keep turning back to you to trust you with what we don't know to keep remembering what we do know in you so help us lord to abide in your word to abide in the anointing of your holy spirit to abide in your father to abide in you lord jesus we pray for your glory's sake and for the enrichment of our own hearts and lives amen our final song uh, if the musicians want to come out was uh, written by somebody who went through a profoundly disorientating experience of bereavement and utter loss and uh, as he engaged with the lord he turned to write this song it is well with my soul let's sing together